So um, I want to welcome you if you have a heart filled with joy coming off of a week of vacation and just had the most amazing hol- holiday, Christmas, New Year season ever, or if you've had a really rough one and you're in here with a heavy heart, you're in a great place, aren't you, to be with God's people celebrating, uh, looking forward to the hope, just oh, not even being able to imagine what we're looking forward to and what we're placing our, our hope on is a, is a great way to start uh, January 2010. How many, of you, how many of you have heard the expression, time flies? Just raise your hand for a second. Okay, yeah, common, common phrase. We all know that one. Um, well, I was sitting one time. My mom lived in Santa Cruz for a lot of years, and I was sitting up on her deck, and um, it was just a beautiful kind of fall, fall day over in Santa Cruz, and I was sitting up on her deck, and, um, and I think I was reading or something, and I, I look out of, of, of the deck. There's this tree that kind of grows there, not far off of Ocean Street, if you know Santa Cruz at all, and... I look out and I see the most strikingly beautiful bird sitting there almost within my grasp. And it just kind of caught my attention. I looked at it. I'm like, that is an amazing bird. I'm like, Santa Cruz has some really cool birds. And so I got up and I kind of went to the railing. And I could have, I mean, I could have almost reached out and touched it. Not quite. It was just right there. And as I looked closer, I thought, that looks just like one of the birds that's downstairs in my mom's cage. I mean, in fact, if I, if I look a little closer, that, that actually looks identical to one of those birds. And then it dawned on me, it was that bird. And so I sat there and I was like, here bird. You know, I didn't know what to do, really, but I'm like, I'm like, ah. Oh. And you know what it did? It just took off. It flew away. And so, um, so I went, oh well. No, I'm just kidding. I went down, I told my mom, I said, mom, are you missing a bird? And, um, sure enough, that was it. That was the last time we ever saw that bird. Hopefully it learns survival skills quickly. But, um, but I bring that up because, you know, time not only flies, it can be just like that bird. It can escape from us, can it? Uh, you, you can just blink your eyes. And I've, I've been, ever since I started having kids, Valley Church was great because Valley Church allowed you to be in a church family with several hundred grandma and grandpas that sat there and told you things all the time that grandparents tend to tell you. And uh, when we got to Valley Church, we had one child. And um, and so with each successive child that we had in a decade of serving over at Valley, we'd always have these, uh, you know, these sweet grandparents coming along and looking at us and saying, you watch out. This will all this will all just pass so quickly. Enjoy these moments. And we're like, thank you. And we're like, you know, kids everywhere and just trying to. But we've really tried to make that a prayer because we because we, we, we know that we, we know that intuitively that that these moments can just fly right by. And when, when you um, are sitting in a memorial service, that's when it hits you really, really clearly, doesn't it? That, man, I want to just enjoy these eternal beings that are right in front of my face, and I do not know what tomorrow brings. And I want to I latch on to it. For some of you, this is the entire part of your life because you were born at the start of this decade. But as we look back an entire decade and we're starting a new decade, it's kind of a, a special year. Like Ben said, we don't even know what to call it yet. You know, the, the tens, the teens, the O's, you know, we don't, we're not really sure what we're going to land on. But as we kind of start a new decade, I want you to think back um, just 10 years. Okay. 10 years ago, um, people were worried about Y2K. 
Okay, now, now here's what was going on. Essentially, they were worried about this whole idea that we're, we're changing from the 1900s to the 2000s. And, you know, what if people didn't plan ahead for that and this and that. And so there's all kinds of, you know, NBC had a TV special going, you know, where not only the ATM machines went down, but air traffic control. I mean, things are going haywire with that. Ultimately, you know, you're trying to save the nuclear power plant from melting down because the clock's going to switch. People who were selling like home bunker kits were just loving it. They're like dishing these things out. You know, people went camping. I mean, just it got really kind of nuts, didn't it? Um, and and the other thing, so you know, we we kind of go by that, and all the people who said things, predicted things, or whatever, they weren't held accountable for any of that, right? None of that happened, or much of it didn't happen. Um, but one of the other things that just loomed large at that time was, you know, hearing the song 1999 over and over. So for me personally, I'm just, I'm thrilled. I mean, people partied like it was 1999, and now it's over. So we don't have to hear, you know, quite as much uh, from, from the artist formerly known as something. Um, so, so looking ahead to, to 2010... Uh, some of you are, are looking ahead with incredible hope. And if you just do kind of a man on the street interview, there are people who are really, really hopeful right now. And they say, man, we're out of, you know, we're, we're coming out of some things. Maybe the person just landed a job two weeks ago. And so for them personally, that's, that's part of what's helping sh- shape how they look at, at 2010 and beyond. But for every person that's thinking that way, there's, there's other people who are just looking at the, the future with despair. And, they, they might look at some of the political and economic and things, and they may even have a job, but, but they think in themselves, you know, but I wonder if things will really be any different in this next 10 years than it was 10 years ago. And some of the things that matter most to me, for instance, fulfillment or purpose or destiny or, or my relationships, they're still kind of in, in the garbage dump. And so there are a lot of people walking into this new decade in utter despair. And then there's a whole nother segment of people that if you're not like this, it's hard to get your head around and, and really understand it. But there's a whole group of people that are walking into 2010 and this next decade, and they're just apathetic. They're just like, I don't really care. And, and they've been so numbed or so burned or so defeated and deflated in the past that it's not worth kind of putting any hope or despair. They're, they're just kind of numb to it all. And if you were to track their emotion, it would look just like someone who's dead. Flatline. And that's how they're entering 2010. Now, I'm not talking about those outside the church. I'm talking about those inside the church. There are some in this room who I would say fit all three of those categories. And my prayer, my heart, is that we would encourage one another today and think about what's going on. Now, this is a number two pencil. It's not really a number two pencil. It's a picture of a number two pencil. But I can remember the smell of a brand new number two pencil that had just been sharpened by my teacher. And when I was handed a brand new number two pencil, you know what it meant? Test time. It was time for a test, right? And so I would sit there, and usually the teacher would give some sort of instruction like this. Okay? They would come along and they would say, now this is a timed test. At some point in the morning here, I'm going to tell you pencils down. Pencils down means the test is over and you can't fill in any more Scantron bubbles or, or write any more answers. And so, because of that, listen closely, class. I want you not to get super bogged down on one question. I don't want you to just spend all of your time on question three when there's 28 questions to go. 
And, and I also don't want your mind to wander. You don't have time to have your mind wander. I want you to stay focused. When you get done with a question, move right along and keep moving on until you're done. If you have extra time, go back and check your answers. Right? And so I would hear these instructions. And I had a mind, believe it or not, that tended to wander. And so I'd be like, okay, mind, you know, focus. You're, you're going to focus on this. You only have a limited amount of time. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes when I would sit in school... Um, I would draw funny pictures <laughs> or I would do other things or I would, I would kind of wander a little bit. You know what? During a time test, I was pretty good at staying focused. Why? Because I knew I was going to hear this, pencils down at some point in the near future. And so I knew I had to stay engaged and keep going and keep focused on what was most important. I didn't call it this in third grade grade or whatever it was, but it was priorities, right? I had my priorities in line. I was like, man, I've got to do this test right now. That's what's important. The Bible, if you read it carefully, uh, really talks about our lifetime as being a test. It talks about our life being a lot of things. It's also a trust. It's something that God has entrusted to us. Uh, Ben just talked about kids. What a great illustration. They're not our kids. They're gifts from God. And we believe that at this church, and we believe that from the scriptures, that a kid is a gift from God. They're not my property. I don't own them. They're kind of on loan from me, to me, from God. They're entrusted to me. So is my life. So are my ten fingers that right now move and work. But on the way home today, I could be paralyzed, couldn't I? And I could have no more faculties in my body. So it's not only a trust that God gives, but it's also a test that we have. And, and as we look ahead to 2010... I want you to get that kind of image in your mind that one day, instead of pencils down, right, it's going to be your time's up. Your life is over. Now, I don't pretend to stand up here and have this figured out because I know you don't either. But why God allows one person to live six years and another person to live 102 years, I don't know. That's God's department and that's God's job. But I do know this. I do know that we are instructed to think carefully at New Year's time about the change of a clock. It's not just a, a, a little silly thing. We ought to be thinking about it for sure more than January 1st, right? But we ought to be thinking about this stuff. Turning your Bibles to Psalm 90. Psalm's right in the middle of your Bible. Flop it open. You'll probably be close. And in Psalm 90, we read this great passage. <clears throat> it's a great psalm, but right in the middle of this psalm, it talks about how fleeting our life is. And look with me in verse 12. Psalm ninety twelve says this, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom. A couple of observations. One is this, that we need to be taught this, right? We tend to think, especially when you're younger, you tend to think you have your whole life ahead of you. It'll never happen to me. I know that people get killed in car accidents, but that won't ever happen to me. One of the blessings I get to have as a pastor is I get to sit at the bedside of people in hospital rooms. I'll, I'll tell you right up, up front, I don't ever look forward to that. I don't go, Lord, please fill this week with hospital visits. But you know what? Every time I walk in and I get to be with the family in a really intimate, very difficult moment, I walk away blessed. I walk away receiving the gift of cherishing 
the moments I have looking into your faces today. Because I don't know if I'm going to make it through the end of the sermon today. And I have this, I have this unique sense of a reminder of time and our, and our limited amount of time. And I pray this prayer. I've been praying this prayer for probably 12 years. 12 years ago, I remember reading this verse. I remember exactly where I was. I marked it in my Bible. And I said, God, I don't ever want to overlook or take for granted that I have 10 more years of life. And so while I'm here, I want to make it count. Flip over a few more verses. Psalm 39. Psalm 39, verse 4, says this. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. These are two, these are two prayers from two different men of God. Two different men that sought after God. And that God used incredibly in their lifetime. And in both of these, there's this calling out to God, there's this begging of God, there's this prayer request for urgency. There's this prayer request, there's this desire to say, teach me, Lord, to number my days. Show me, God, that my life is fleeting away. At the start of this new decade, we're going to spend some time this morning praying. And one of the prayers I would challenge you is to pray that you would be taught urgency. And to acknowledge that you just don't have that built into you. In fact, many of the messages that I receive on a daily basis from the time I wake up to the time I go down to bed. And these aren't just aren't external messages like it's all the culture's fault or something. These are internal messages as well. I think it stems from the fall and just the pride of man thinking, I'm going to make my plans today. I'm going to accomplish some things this week. And that starts to carry an air of arrogance to it that says, I'm going to have a week's worth of time, and I'm going to deal with it how I decide. Whereas, really, the way we're taught to pray is say, if the Lord wills, here's what I'm going to do. Are we to plan? Absolutely. God's a God of order. But we plan our ways, and then God directs our steps as we go. So to pray and just call out to God and say, God, I want to be taught urgency this year. At the start of 2010, at the start of a new decade, what better time, right? Then to say, God, teach me urgency. Teach me that my life is fleeting away. Teach me that these cute little old ladies and cute little old men that tell me over and over again, it's going to go by in a blink of an eye. I'm starting to believe them. Because there's a massive lanky kid that used to be a baby that lives in my house now. And he's in middle school. And just a second ago, I feel like he was, he was a newborn. I'm starting to get the message. I'm starting to believe that. Here are some of the goals that I have. These are some of the things that I'm praying for. As I pray for you, and I think about you often, God, God brings your faces and names and situations and, and lives to mind often. Here are some of the things that, that as a pastor I'm instructed to do in Scripture, and these are some of my goals for 2010. Ready? Here they are. One is for salvation of people. Salvation, some sitting in this room, many sitting in, in, the, in, the, in the living rooms across the street and around this community. I'm told in Scripture to labor that I might save some. And I just say, God, you have men and women in this city who are not walking with you yet, who haven't been shown the light yet. Use me. Use our church to do that. And give me a heart to see that happen. I'm also called to, to stir, stir you in, in love. 
I want your love to grow. I want our church as a whole to grow in our love quotient. I also want the faith of members individually and corporately as a church to grow this year. And finally, I want joy for you all. I want you to experience the joy of the Lord. I want you to walk in the joy of the Lord this year. That's something that I'm, that I'm praying for and longing for. And as you look at this list, think about this. Salvation, love, faith, wisdom, and joy. You know what those all are? Those are all gifts of God. So here's the weird thing about it. It's the weird thing and it's the, it's the encouraging thing. The weird thing is this. I am putting goals out there for 2010 that I can't accomplish. I can't possibly accomplish that. It's a little bit like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you know what Jesus says to him? He says, well, do these different things. He says, I've done all that. I've kept the law. I've done all that. And then he says, one thing you still lack. What, what is it? Yeah, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And what does the young guy do? So, says he goes away sad. Why? Because he's rich. He's loaded. He's like, sell my idols, sell what I live for, sell my joy, forget about it. And then Jesus turns, the story goes on from there. Jesus turns and he says, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are like, what? That's opposite of everything we've been taught, everything that we think about. You've got to be kidding me. And then, then Jesus says these words. He says, with man it's impossible, with God all things are possible. And that's really, really encouraging if you're a missionary in a mission field that you go, I can't possibly win a single convert here. What on earth am I doing? We had some friends from our old youth group that left for the mission field December 25th, a few days ago. And we've been tracking their, their support and their launch and everything. And, and they've got four or five kids. And off they went Christmas Day on purpose to say, Christmas Day, we're taking a flight to France and we're going to go minister to Muslims because they don't know Jesus and they're going to spend eternity apart from him. And you know what? Their prayer ought to be super pumped up. Man, with, with God, all things are impossible. It's impossible for me to accomplish my goals this year as a pastor for this church. 1 Corinthians 2, or uh, 1 Corinthians 9 says, labor to save some. Hebrews 10, stir up your love. Philippians 1, I'm, I'm told to help you grow up in your faith. 1 Corinthians 2, I'm, I'm told to impart wisdom. And 2 Corinthians 1, I'm told to work for your joy. We just sang a song that said, you choose the weak to lead the strong. And I read these kinds of things. I say, Lord, how on earth am I supposed to accomplish any of that apart from you? So there's the daily reminder. It's not me scurrying about. It's not me adding a program. We're not one staff member away from just exploding and having massive growth. So this morning, a part of what we're going to do is pray. We're going to pray. I'll tell you what a list like that does for me. It drives me to my knees. It makes me feel childlike. And I think that's exactly where you want your pastor to be. It just is. I feel, I feel helpless in that, and I, and I would now turn the table to you, and I'd say, how about you examine your goals? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but some of you made some, some maybe significant kinds of goals in 2010. Maybe you've made some changes, and you said, man, I want to think differently. I want to grow in this area. I want to change that. I have a goal to reach this by such and such a date. 
Let me just, let me just ask you to examine your goals a little bit. <clears throat> One is this. Are your goals able to be accomplished with God or without God? Let's put it that way. Are your goals able to be accomplished without God? Not necessarily a bad goal, right? So, for instance, I might want to lose 10 pounds. And so I can look at that and say, that's really achievable this year quite easily by me doing that, right? That's not, that doesn't necessarily require God to step in and, and act. But maybe a better goal would be to say, I want to have goals that require God to be there and act on my behalf. Or else it will not happen. Do you see the difference in that? One's walking by faith, one's walking by sight. Or maybe not by sight. Don't look at chocolate cake. you know. But one, one is in your power to accomplish, one is in God's power to accomplish. You see how that works? Here's another one. At the end of the year... If we could go back and give testimony on 2010, fast forward for a moment. This is a little bit about thinking to teach you to number your days and presenting a heart of wisdom. Are you going to have a heart of wisdom to present to God in 2010, December, next year? We have a service where we're sharing testimony. How about this? Your goals, are they able to be explained naturally or do they require supernatural intervention to really explain what went on there? I want to live a life. I want this church to be the kind of church that is doing things and accomplishing things and moving in directions that we say there's no other way to describe how we got here apart from the fact that something supernatural is going on. You, you just can't look to this, 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 and this. And those are all kind of explainable, and that's why we're where we're at. We want to be a church that looks back and says the only way to explain how we got here is that God intervened. God showed up. God's at work. God's moving. Finally, here's the last just thought for you to kind of plug in. Does the end of this goal, let's say you have some goals lined up for 2010. In December of 2010, you're looking back and they're achieved. Who gets the glory? Is it you or is it God? Goals that end in my glory may not be in the will of God. In fact, we know that God says, I won't share my glory with another. When, when, when we're trying to strive after and grab for God's glory, we're miserable. God's designed us in such a way and, in fact, created us in such a way that, that our greatest joy is actually giving him glory. And I know that's really hard to wrap your mind around and we're not going to go down that trail yet. But at the end of the year, who gets the glory for the goals you're setting out for yourself this coming year? I'm going to talk about some things this morning that challenge you to stretch yourself spiritually in some ways. What I don't want to do is create neo-Pharisees where we get the glory of these different spiritual things that we've now done and we now, we now get to add that to our backpack of experiences and say, well, we've done this or that. And then we take things like that and heap it on younger Christians. That's not what we're talking about. We're freed from all of that. Go and read the first about eight chapters of Romans sometime soon and just... Thank God, if you can't celebrate with utter joy about the day that your salvation was purchased, you need to go understand what living under the law is like. So that's where all this, this joy comes from. So as we talk about those things, I just want to caution. In just a few moments, we're going to have an opportunity to share. We started sharing a week ago. Remember this? We started just sharing some of the testimony, and we just, we just kind of ran out of time. We said, we're going to continue this next week. So that's what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to speak out. If you, have, if you have been saved from God this last year, I want you to speak out in the assembly of God's people and share what God did for you and how he rescued you and how he saved you. If you are thankful 
for this last year for something? Would you stand and just speak out and give praise and glory to God with your mouth? Even though it might cause some of you to do this while you're standing, we won't see your fingertips. We won't know you're nervous. Stand and give praise to God. If you're needy this morning, not if, really, let's just be honest, because you're needy this morning, stand and just cry out to God in the assembly of God's people. We're commanded to do this. This is something that's healthy for the body life to do. While you're thinking, I have a message for a few different groups of of people here. First of all, kids. Kids, here's just a little message. Thinking thinking ahead to 2010. And by the way, kids, I want you to be standing too and giving praise and giving thanks to God for what God's done. But here's a message for you. One is this. To trust and treasure a really, really big God. That's That's one of the messages that we're driving home to the kids in Kids Studio and First Look. That's one of the things we're trying to go after, is that there's a really, really big God that can handle everything that's coming your way. Grow in your trust of that God. Grow in your treasure of that God. And I have a verse for you. Now, this verse was written to a young pastor. Any young pastors in here that are under the age of 16? Okay, so it's probably not written exactly to you, but the message is the same. Think about this as a young person in here today. Look at this verse with me. 1 Timothy 4.12 says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. I'm not going to ask this because I know it. Some people have looked down on you just because you're young, huh? The verse goes on to say this, But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. You know what God has the power to do, kids, in you? is he has the power to put on display your childlike faith in such a way that it makes us grown-ups stand up, take notice, and realize we need to become more like you in that. Do you know that some of you, as you read your Bible this year, as you start to pray, as you start to trust God and dream hard after God and treasure God, do you know that some of your dreams will challenge your parents in what they're thinking about and what they're dreaming about? Not an awesome thing. We have the opportunity as adults, as grown-ups, as Sunday school teachers, to actually learn from the childlike faith and the witness of our kids. So kids, we love you. We're thrilled to have you in here with us. Every first Sunday of the month, we, we have you stick around because we want to worship with you. We want to be with you. And frankly, we have things to learn from you. Students, I want to challenge you to dream big. I'm talking about middle school, high school, college. <clears throat> Some people are counting different things in, in school, counting grades, counting assignments, counting the days until summer break. And I want to challenge you to dream big. Some of you are trying to pick a major. Some of you are trying to think, God, what do you have for me? I would say dream big. Let me just throw one idea out to you. There's this thing called frontier missions. You know what frontier missions is? It's exactly what it sounds like. It's going on mission to people who've never, ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, who don't have any scriptures in their language whatsoever right now, today. You know whose evangelism strategy this was? This was Paul. You ever hear of him? Paul, the guy that wrote much of the New Testament, his missionary strategy was to go, not where a church had already been planted, not to build on someone else's work, but to keep on going to people who had never, ever heard the name of Jesus. 
I got to be next to the photocopier that was running the scriptures for a new language for the very first time. And I'm casually talking to this guy who's now passed away and he's celebrating with the Lord right now. But he had given his life to translating the Bible. And he kind of nonchalantly tells me that this is the first Bible in this language ever. And I was like running copies for, you know, a junior high flyer or something. And I'm like, what? This is amazing. I'm standing right next to it. I just touched it. Like, it's just so amazing that God used this man because him and his wife gave his gave their lives to this. And now the gospel is, is being handed over to a people group for the very first time in a, in a written form. I pray that that's some of you in this room. I pray that we would both have this weird sense of joy and mourning because we're losing some really, really good people that we love to be around because they're, they just give the fragrance of grace and of Jesus. But we're thrilled because we're sending them to people who've never, ever heard about Jesus. And they're going to go take this, this light, this message of truth to people who've never heard and give them the gospel. Here's a verse for you. Think about this. You can go to different websites and find this stuff. But right now, there's an estimated about 6,641 unreached people group. That's a lot. But here's the thing. If you look at, at kind of how missions has grown and how people have grown, you know what's going on right now? We are, we are reaching people at an astounding rate. It's just amazing the technology that we have and the things that, that God has opened up the doors for for the gospel to go forth is unbelievable. Jonathan Adam, by the time that you're of the age to get up and leave home, I can't even fathom what it's going to be like. So we're living in a phenomenal time for frontier missions. Now, I'm not saying it's bad to go in, get an engineer degree, and be an engineer. God knows that we need those. But do you know that we're commanded to go? We're commanded to do this. And so I don't want that to be so far off your radar that, radar that you're like, well, I've tried a few other majors. Maybe I'll try this over here. Why not run to that first? Parents, why not prep your hearts that God might be calling your precious kid that you love and you want around every holiday to be away from you? To be out on the mission field. To be spending themselves. I mean, what else is there to, to, to give our lives to? If this is true, what else is there? If it's not, go after the good, cushy job. Get a good education. Get some stuff. But if there's something that we can only imagine, that's a, that's a hope waiting for us, that there really is eternal life, man, consider this. Here's your verse, Romans chapter 10. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? These are unreached people groups. One of the 6,641 unreached people groups. Verse 15, and how can they preach unless they are sent? Neighborhood Bible Church, let's be a sending church. Let's be a group of people, a body of believers that launches kids' faith into places we haven't ever dreamt of going. That's the kind of thing I'm hoping for. Singles. I want to challenge you right now, singles, to be God's man, God's woman right now in your singleness. I worked with college students for a long time. And what happens with college students is they turn into non-college students. They turn into young professionals. 
And they turn into one of two kinds of young professionals, young married professionals or young single professionals. And I think the lie is that in the church especially, God put a heart in me from a very early age to desire a wife and desire a family. And I can remember it was the hardest thing ever to lay that at the altar and say, God, if you don't want that for me, I'll choose you still. I'm not worshiping that. But I sure do want it. So I just lay my my wants and desires out. And God's blessed me with that. But you know what? That's not how God has it for everyone. And the timing of things. Two of my best friends got married a little bit later, even though they were walking with the Lord, even though they were crying out to God to provide them with a spouse. They didn't just wait around. Some people waste the opportunity of being a single adult with lots of disposable income, lots of disposable time. You know what they waste it doing? They waste it either numbing themselves, going to every single latest flick in the IMAX 3D experience, or they waste it uh, just kind of, kind of longing for, and instead of kind of escaping that way, longing for and bemoaning the fact that they're not at this stage of life or that stage of life. I can remember pre-kids, I had tons of time as a youth pastor that I just flat out started not to have as my kids got older. And praise God, I, I tried to go and use that time, use that season, use the season you're in right now for God's glory and for ministry. Singles, practice now who you need to be for your spouse one day. You don't magically turn into super, super Christian spouse the day you get married. Guess what? It gets a lot harder. If you're doing really good right now, good. You need to be prepped for that. Because the second you say I do, it doesn't just like, Woo, now I'm floating and everything's just easy. I'm a bird. You know, no. It's like all of a sudden it gets harder in a lot of ways. A friend recommended a book to me. I haven't read it yet, but it says, When Sinners Say I Do. And that's the reality. When you're at the altar, that's what it is. It's two sinners saying, I do. And now let's, let's be married. Now there's tons of joy in that and all kinds of things. But I want to I say, practice who you are needing to be for your spouse right now as you're in your singleness. Don't practice for disappointment. Here's how you practice for disappointment. As a single, as, as one who right now is not married, maybe you're divorced and you're longing for to be married again. You're asking God for that. Here's how you practice for disappointment. Ready? We all just went through this at Christmas, perhaps. But practicing for disappointment is this. If only I had a spouse, I'll be happy. I'll be fulfilled. All the colors will seem brighter. Whatever. You get married. You're young married. It didn't quite pan out that way. Birds don't chirp at you when you walk by. They poop on your car. Whatever. (laughs) And so then you get into this trap. If only I had kids. Lord help us. (laughs) So you see where it's going? I mean, it's always one thing out there. If, if, If only the kids were behaving better If only they get into this school. If only they would get out of my house. And on and on it goes. And we can live an entire lifetime. We can look back and we haven't presented God a heart of wisdom. We haven't gained a heart of wisdom at all. We've gained a heart of discontentment. Here's your verse. This is a guy being uh, writing this from a prison cell. The entire letter is about joy. And it contrasts joy and happiness. Here it is, Paul writing, For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. 
How about if that translates to relationships? If you're not content when you are in need relationally, I have a hunch you won't be content when you have plenty of relationship. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let's move on to parents. Parents, God has a vision for your family. Every single time that you get home safely from a car ride, a plane trip, a vacation, utter this prayer, realize, God, you brought us home safely. You must have a reason for us still being here. Parents, families, would you discover what God has for you as a family and then go walk in it and live in it? You know what you need for that? You need other people helping you interpret what's going on. You need other people sometimes to come alongside and and nudge you and say, man, when you guys do this, amazing things happen. And you're like, really? I didn't even know that. Maybe I, I need to pay attention to that more. Why does God keep putting this in my heart? Why do you always talk about that? I think God has something for you in that. Discover what that is. And go after it. There's a, there's a certain sense that culture is lying to you. Becky and I uh, flipped through a luxury life magazine or something. And these are like custom homes up in the foothills where you can actually quasi afford it, I suppose. Uh, and we're looking through these different things. 11,500 square foot custom home. That's a lot of toilet paper just to fill the bathrooms in that home. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't want to clean that place. But... But the lie is, I mean, the realtor is on the front smiling. The people are in the backyard barbecuing smiling. It all looks pretty good. But the, but the myth is, kind of the, the, the popped bubble is, is that's not happiness. That's not what you go after. That, that won't really satisfy. Some of the most miserable people in the world are the richest people in the world. And yet, don't we find ourselves envying them? Envying some of what they have and, and trinkets and this and that. We just sang a, a great hymn that just said, man, I, I don't want to go there. I want my solid rock to be Christ. The fact that marriage is a living parable of Christ in the church is, is a powerful motivator for you married people. Walking in here, walking out of here, walking through the grocery store, walking through life together, realizing that you are a living parable of Christ in the church. Go and discern what that means and start to live that and pray for that this year. Here it is. Here's my verse for just parents and families in general. Philippians 4.8 Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't dwell on the headlines. Don't dwell on the stock market. Don't dwell on your TV. Don't dwell on the latest experience. Don't dwell on grades. Dwell on these things. Moving right along. Retired folks, I haven't forgotten you. Is God able to commission someone who is of retired age to start something new? Absolutely. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, Retirement really isn't in there. There's, there's a certain wartime stance that the Bible takes about the Christian life. And that's like saying to a sergeant, someone who's lived so much life and we need to hear from, and we need to be instructed in, and we need to be taught from. What if that general just retired? Stopped engaging in the spiritual battle? 
Meanwhile, there are families and ministers of God all around us who are floundering and who need your guidance and who need your love and who need your rebuke and who need your instruction and who need all the experience that God's blessed you with, good and bad, so that we can learn from it. You know what God's blessed this church with? God's blessed us with some retired age people. And we I praise God for that. I am thrilled I'm not the oldest person in our church. A, because the jokes would be nonstop and I would go into a hole. No, I'm kidding. I'm thrilled because we need that. I'm thrilled because God can start something new. That first psalm we looked at in Psalm 90, that was written by a man named Moses. Did God call Moses when he was a young man? He called him when he was of retired age. Think about Abram. Think about some of the heroes of the faith. Noah. Noah was not out playing golf. He was listening to God. And God told him to embark on a whole new journey that he had never, ever heard of before. And he trusted God and obeyed. Here's my verse for that. 2 Timothy 4, 6. This is Paul writing at the end of his life. For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. Not I was two decades ago and I've been relaxing for 20 years. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Older people in our midst, would you finish well? Would you show us what it looks like to finish this race really, really well? I want to sit at the bedside of some of the people in this room. And I want to hold your hand and I want to be next to you. And I want to just, I want to be fired up in my faith because I watch how you pass from this life to the next. Now, I don't necessarily long for it this year. Don't get worried. You're like, I'm not drinking any coffee Dave offers to me. Because that's, that's a weird thing to dream about. But I really do. I want to be here long enough, let's put it that way, that I see some of that happen. All right, it's time to speak out. I'm going to sit down on my stool, and if you have something to say, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to stand in your seat. If two people stand at one time, stay standing and just give way to one another. Stand up and testify. If God has saved you, if you're thankful, if you're needy, speak out right now and, um, and just give glory to God. Rob, are you still standing or are you coming back from your seat? All right, real loud. You know, I'm a, a nervous flyer. I always have been. And um, this year was particularly awkward for me. Uh, there were only two Arkansas on a, uh, a strange summer of vacation. So this was my second and third plane ride. And, um, so I just noticed I was particularly nervous. And so I, I said, God, you know, I need to trust you in these situations with my life because I don't need to go anywhere to die. I mean, you're you're going to... Take me home when you see fit. It doesn't matter if I'm asleep or if I'm driving down the road. So help me to trust you. So um, when we got on the plane, we had a great trip to San Francisco. We had no problems. We got on the plane, and from start to literally finish, tons of turbulence. Hmm. And um, the pilot was saying, well, yeah, they told us it was going to be clear today, but um, we'll just ride it out. And then we landed. And um, when we landed in Denver Airport, has anyone ever been to Denver? It's just huge airport, right? So um, we kept walking, walking, walking down the gates, and we ran out of airport. And then we went down these stairs into this basement that nobody knows exists uh, at the airport. And I looked outside, and there was this two-propeller engine plane sitting out there that I had to walk out on the tarmac and get on the plane on. And I said, God, I thought I said I wanted to learn to trust you. How am I supposed to trust this? And... um, 
we, we got on the plane. I was so nervous. I don't like those little planes. We had the best flight into, into Tulsa. And then it kind of hit me halfway through. You know, if I'm praying that God would teach me to trust him, what better way to, to learn that than through my fear and through my doubt? Um, and so was I, was, I, was I really trusting God for those moments when things were smooth sailing and the turbulence was low? Or was I just um, in a moment of, of rest and, and didn't have a need to worry? Because it were the moments when I wasn't feeling safe that I needed to learn to trust God. And he really took care of my family while we were there. And I'm so thankful for that. And um, I really appreciate your words this morning about making every moment of uh, every opportunity of the moments God's given us. So. Someone else.
the most amazing thing that I've, I, you know, I came across the country on almost no money, stayed in hotel sickness, which are fine with me, because I'm a Waffle House hotel sickness kind of girl anyway. I don't, I don't like this $11,000 house. I prayed years ago when I was not walking with the Lord. I prayed for him to make me rich and, and prove that it wouldn't spoil me. My husband died. I had a quarter of a million dollars life insurance. I nearly killed myself with it. Hmm. So I don't. I know that riches don't make me happy. Hmm. I, I'm perfectly satisfied to live with almost nothing because that keeps me humble. God knows what works in my life, and He knows what works in all of our lives. And for me just to get on my face and say, you know what, Daddy, wherever you want me to be, I'll go because I know you've got this. Mm. Is is the most amazing revelation that I could that I could have, and um, and He's absolutely kept His promises. Every single promise that's in that book, He keeps. And so I would just say, you know, this is a new year, and yeah, there are people who are struggling. But trust is just, you know, trust in the Lord. That's been my scripture for all these years. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on my understanding. Commit all my plans and then help succeed. Roll all my works on here on him. Cast all my cares on him because I can't do this. He doesn't want he never asked me to do it. And I thought I was supposed to, and when I finally quit trying, he went to work and now I can rest. Thanks, Angela. If you don't mind, use the, the mic um, partly for the recording. That's okay. You did fine. Um, that was amazing uh, to hear that story. I've had a, a year um, that's been just really tremendous. And by God's grace, um, I've seen uh, areas in my life that I've struggled with since probably third grade. Uh, food addiction, actually, and just being a compulsive overeater and uh, it being an idol in my life. And through that uh, character defect that I have, God has um, shown me some amazing things this, this year, um, shown me other areas I need to work on as well. And, um, and really what it's come down to is putting my hope and trust in him and being on my knees daily and uh, submitting that to him one day or one moment, one hour at a time. And um, I can't tell you... Um, I'd love to sit down with people and just share because there's been one miracle after another that I've experienced this year. Um, I've never had victory in the area of, of food in my life. It's always been um, my area of weakness. And the other is just, you know, being consistently in the Word and on my knees. And um, those two things have changed for me this year. And it's just phenomenal. So... I give all the glory and grace to God because it, it was his timing. He knew when I was ready to make that change, and uh, it's only by his grace that, um, that I'm able to continue that lifestyle. Thanks, Martha. I know you guys hear a lot from me, but a couple of things Dave said made me want to stand up and share. So one thing he mentioned was, you know, we we envy, tend to envy those that have a lot. And, uh, I was definitely a victim of this victim. Uh, I don't know the right word, but whatever. We'll roll with it. Um, it. It was a struggle in my life, just, you know, envying those that had a lot more than me. And there's this uh, one friend of mine that was doing financially just very well. And I, I struggled with, with just envying him. And we were having a conversation one day, and he, 
and looked me in the eye and said, Ben, you have no idea how much I envy you and the family that you have, the wife that you have, your son, and just your life. And something like that just made this shift in my mind of like, you know, what we value and what is important to us. And uh, so just wanted to share that with you to hopefully encourage you that, I mean, we're, we are blessed in, in different ways than just our finances. Um, and the other thing is just looking back on, on God's faithfulness. Um, I did spend my, my New Year's in the hospital. My sister um, was pulled in for an emergency surgery. She's five months pregnant, and they ended up having to cut open her abdomen and um, were unsure as to whether not only whether she would lose the baby or not, but whether she would survive the surgery or not. Uh, and there were a lot of questions, and so I rung in the new year waiting for her to come out of surgery and just to hear some good news, and by God's grace, she's doing well, and the baby's doing well, and I know some of you have been following our story on Facebook, so thank you for those prayers. Um, but her husband was up in Reading the whole time she was down here going through the surgery, uh, which was just uh, tough for them to be apart, but... Um, I've been able to, to talk to them and just encourage and share hope, you know, and the fact that God does have their best in mind and is able to take them through all of this and wouldn't put anything in front of them that they, they couldn't have, handle by his grace. Um, so he is a good God, and um, we're able to just trust in him and, and hope for hope for the future. Uh, so I have a few things. Uh, one major thing in my life is my dad, who's uh, 55 years old, is now addicted to meth. And uh, it's a fun thing in my life because I've had lots of family in my life that's been on drugs, some that have completed suicide, and mm-hmm. one that was actually addicted to meth. And after 20 years, she got saved and she was able to kick it. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm uh, prayerful that, that my that God will take my dad off it and bring it, bring him to his knees. Uh, that's been my prayer for a long time because he's also a homosexual and um, kind of a Pharisee's Pharisee. He can, he can use the Bible to to explain away anything in his life that he does. And mm-hmm. my prayer is just that God will bring him to his knees. And I don't know that that his body can stand to live long enough while he goes through whatever he's going to do and and uh, gets brought to to God. But um, I have this this uh, a sister who's also been in rebellion for a while and. Through this, um, she's now coming to God. She's she's opening her heart, and God's softening her because of the situation that my dad's going through. And now she's going to church, and she's actually quoting scripture to me. And it's it's just amazing how God uses this. That that now, even though she was in rebellion, there's some other tragedy in our life that, that He's using uh, in a positive way. And um, it's just a really big faith builder for me because even though I don't know that my dad's going to come to know God, I know that God's going to give him every chance that that um, my dad'll my dad'll my dad can have to to come to accept him. And it's it's just me trusting in him that you know I saw my aunt who was addicted to meth for 20 years mm-hmm. come to him, and I I'm seeing my sister come to him, and it's just trusting in him that that it's nothing that I can do that it's only God working in his life to uh, bring my dad to. Thank <clears throat> you.
Plink, would you mind would you mind just standing up, Plink, and, and praying for, for his dad, for, for Jonathan's dad? Heavenly Father, Father, we are here only by your grace and mercy. Father, it is not our power, it is in your power that lies to change. Lord, you are the miracle worker. You are the one who changes lives. I'm a living testimony of it, God. And I pray that Jonathan, his father, will be healed from his addiction. That, Father, that he would seek after you. That he would repent and put his faith and trust in you. And inherit the eternal life he wants all of the children in creation to have. We have all gone astray, Lord. Would you bring us back home? We pray that you would soften his heart. We pray that, God, that you would strengthen his family around him. Bring him to the point where he needs you so bad that every single moment of his waking days until you bring him home, Lord, if he's saved, when he's saved, that he belongs to you. God, we pray for your power upon him, upon his family, and God, we pray that he would be saved for your glory, Jesus, for your glory. And we ask this in your name. Hey, I'm Jose. I'm John's older son. Um, what I've learned this past year is God truly loves me. Let me just tell you how this happened. In December 2008, I was living in Salt Lake City, and um, I got laid off. Kind of, they prepped me. They said, "Hey, we're not going to have any hours here, um, so you're not going to have money flow." And so. Um, dropped on my knees, started praying, asking God, tell me what to do, man. Tell me what to do. What do I need to do? Told my dad, told some friends back here in California that I had no money. And he opened the door and he said, hey, uh, my good friend said, come back to Fresno, California, and I got a job for you. And as much as I love Salt Lake City, snowboarding, rock climbing, everything you can name, I just trusted God and said, yeah, all right, let's do it. Packed up my stuff and came back to California. I had nowhere to live until the day I got there. A buddy of mine said, hey, why don't you come here first month free, no charge, and uh, don't worry about paying me back until you get the money. So then I started working just uh, odd jobs uh, as a sound engineer, setting up fairs and stuff like that. Door opened up again this summer, and I started working for a summer arts program for Fresno State. Recently, they lost their head of uh, technician director for the music department, and I heard this, and I quickly emailed the um, chair of the department, and I said, hey, I was looking, I was hearing that you guys needed someone to fill this position, and little behold, I got the job, interviewed, and got the job, and so it's been such a huge blessing to see what the economy is, you know, everybody's getting laid off and stuff like that, and by trusting in God to bring me back here to Fresno, and just listening to him and saying, yes, okay, I will, I will, I will, and it's like, okay, one job, to another job, to a bigger job, and something that just totally opened, and I could see myself pursuing this as a career, Um, and then realizing just recently, like, four weeks ago, how that much love was 
how much God loved me the whole time. Because during that time, I met a most amazing person, and um, she she taught me what it was that God seriously loves me. And it hurts to say this, but a couple weeks ago, we decided to depart. And I didn't understand it at first. She was such an amazing person, a woman of God. It didn't make any sense. And I realized that without coming back to California, I wouldn't have been in the place where I am right now. And that fully accepting that God loves me. And that's diving deeper into the Bible, seeking the help that I need from my community and from my church in Fresno, going back to church, understanding the whole concept and just really believing and diving in deeper. So that's all we need to do. And, you know, the thing about money, like, it's totally true. You, you think that's what you need. You think that's what you need. And I've made as much money as I have. And to completely turn it upside down and give back, is such the greatest thing. It's what we're meant to do, you know? We're meant to help each other. We're meant to seek our family. We're meant to help everything. And right now, I just need just I just need a lot of prayer that I could just keep going in this direction, not seek, you know, get all the blur and just focus straight on God. And um, that's my goal for 2010, is to... Right now, when I'm feeling lonely, know that I'm not lonely because we're never lonely. And to have that goal straight to God and uh, just get it done, conquer my past and move on. Basically what it is. So, yeah, that's... that's Thanks for sharing. Let me bring the band up. Nicole's going to be the last one. We're going to... Close in a song, but take your time and share. Hi, I'm Nicole. For those of you who don't know me, when your heart's pounding out of your chest, you know God's telling you to get up and speak, so I'm going to do my best to get through this. Um, 2009 has been a wild ride for our family. Um, I started this year hardly being able to walk. I was injured a year and a half prior that um, I tried several forms of treatment and nothing was working. And the beginning of this year, I began a new form of treatment that did start working. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) So um, I continued that treatment through this year and started walking and being physically active again, which kind of led me to um, God answering a four-year prayer, which was starting a a women's ministry that he showed me this summer. And how he revealed it to me is totally out of my comfort zone. So I am... I am trusting in him that he's going to <laughs> use me how he wants to through this new form of ministry that I'm starting this month, and we'll see where that leads me. Um, and then July 26th, we found out my aunt had leukemia, and it was one day after her 52nd birthday. And we went through all the emotions of, Why her? Why our family? This happens to everybody else, not us. But then I realized that the more I started praying and the more I started digging into God's word, that I 
needed to be a light for my family. And maybe God was allowing this situation in our lives for me to bring the rest of my family to salvation and for him to do his work and perform miracles in our family. So that instantly became my focus, and I began to reach out to my church body and my Bible study ladies and asking them for prayer. It helped me to realize that I'm not meant to do this alone, and that's why God designed us all to be different parts of the body. And I got to say, my aunt just passed a couple days ago. But I got to say, through the whole thing, all these last several months that I've had with her have been miracle after miracle after miracle. And this week has been a hundredfold miracles on top of that because I'm seeing my cousins and my brother and everyone giving glory to God for everything that's happened. And I've never heard these words out of their mouths before. And I cherish the times that I got to spend with her and my cousins in the hospital and opening God's word and talking to them about heaven and how much more God has for us and how if we can accept him as our savior, then we're all going to be in eternity together. And I have no regrets. I look back on all these months that I've had with them, and I am so grateful for the opportunities that God gave me. And I've got to tell you, I am I completely shy away from death. When anyone tells me that they're dying or have cancer or anyone in their family, I just, it's like I shut down. I go into panic mode. I don't want to talk about it. It freaks me out. This experience of losing my aunt has given me supernatural, just, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, confidence. I'm not I'm not afraid anymore to talk about death. I'm not afraid to to go to someone and talk to them about why they're suffering and why they're hurting. And I'm not afraid to lead anyone to Christ anymore. My husband has been a huge, huge crutch for me to lean on and, and guiding me as to what the Bible says about leading someone to Christ. And it's like, yeah, I know it all here, but when I'm in this situation in the hospital and we're talking about Jesus and I'm going, what am I supposed to say? Instead of panicking, I need to be praying that God is going to give me the words to say. And he gave me that confidence through this experience. And i got to say to all of you who have gone through all of this before, I am so sorry that I was never there for you the way that I should have been. But I can promise you that you were all in my prayers. That's not going to be me anymore. I'm going to be stepping out now, out of my comfort zone. And when you need someone to talk to, I'll be there. Okay? And not to just to support the person in the hospital that's going through the issue, but to support the family also. Because now that I've been through this experience, I know how much it's meant to me and to my family and my mom here who just lost her sister. That all of you have come around us and supported us and loved us. And, you know, just you shooting off a quick Bible verse to us on email, I can't tell you how much that lifts our spirits. Because at times, it's hard to be in the Word. My, I'm crying too bad to even see what my Bible says, okay? So it's just great to hear all of your phone calls and all your prayers and know that you guys are here for us, just supporting us. So we thank you as a family, and I'm just grateful to God for allowing me to go through all the many different situations that he's allowed me to go through this year because it's made me a part of who I am today, and it's made me stronger, and it's made me dive into my Bible at times. I probably wouldn't have. So... I just give all the glory to God, and thank you all for all your love and support. Thanks, Nicole.
Isn't God good? Um, this is this is here every single week. The stuff we just talked about, that's here every week. And that's what we're bringing to church. This is what body life's about. This is what family life is about. Can we agree to try to make some strides in 2010 to not always feel like we need to bring our best foot forward, that we have it together, that we don't need prayer, that we don't have needs? Um, I love this. Let me let me paint a picture for you. We're about to we're about to transition a part of our service. I think the problem is we sometimes feel like we're ending worship now. We're transitioning from sitting in pews looking this way to moving outside and sitting around some tables and eating lunch together and enjoying fellowship together. Can I just invite you to continue what's been going on in a in a smaller setting? And to, and to share life this way and to keep giving God praise for what he's done. I hope this piqued your curiosity about, I want to hear more from Jose about how, how did God do that? There's, there's more to the story. I know there is. And Angela, I got to hear a little bit about how she found this church. I mean, there's always more to the story. Be quizzing each other on that. It encourages your own faith. It builds up your own faith. We're going to do this. We're taking our offering on the way out today. Usually it looks a little intimidating to have ushers standing at the door with bags like they're going to whack you if you don't pay them. It's not what this is. This is this is part of our worship, but some of you need to slip out of here. Uh, we're going to just take the offering as we as we dismiss this week. Um, I was going to give you a little preview of where we're going in 2010, but you'll just have to come back next week to find out more about that. Let me just say this. Starting in the new year, uh, there's all kinds of things out in front of you, and one of the things I would just I would I would beg you to do is to get involved in a a Bible reading plan if you don't have one. And there are so many different ones available with different lengths and all kinds of things. You can jot these down, but crosswalk.com is a great resource. YouVersion is linking to my iPhone and my computer, so you always have where you're at. Read through the Bible this year. I had a family member say this, ashamedly, I've never read through the entire Bible, and I'm doing it this year. And I was like, praise God, that's amazing. That's awesome. Do that. And don't do it as a chore. Do it as soul food. Do it as a meal that you're going to go and partake of all the time. Um, I would challenge some of you to engage in spiritual disciplines that you've never engaged in before. Some of you have never really committed to memory some key passages about salvation and some key passages that the Holy Spirit can use for you. I would challenge some of you to increase in giving. Jose, you gave a great testimony about the, the joy of giving. On that note, let me say this. On behalf of Ben and Carol and myself, um, we were just absolutely floored by the generosity of this church for a staff Christmas bonus. And um, so thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And I feel like Paul in saying this. I'm joyful because it's, it's one of those tangible measurements of what God is doing in your hearts. It's crediting, as Rich shared with us several months ago, it's crediting to your account to be generous like that. And that's just, that's just an awesome gift in and of itself. So we want to say thank you to that. Some of you have never given to mission specifically. Try that out this year. 2010 is the year to, to, to try that. Some of you need to adopt a child. And I know that just sounds like a massive leap for some people, but some of you need to do that. 
Some of you need to just pursue, is God calling me along those lines? Maybe it's not adopting a child in the sense that you're going to take someone and have them move into your home, but maybe you'll be involved in foster care. Maybe you'll be involved in sponsoring a child. We just um, got word, in fact, Chris and Tricia just came back from the orphanage that we work with down with George and Stacy Plow in Mexico. Um, we sponsor World Vision Kids, which is great. How cool is it to sponsor kids that you're going to go see next summer? And be able to sponsor those faces and pray for them and really adopt them into your monthly budget and into your monthly and weekly and daily prayer life. Um, just going to stop because it's noon. seems like a good time to stop. I'm going to pray, and then uh, the band's just going to kind of dismiss us with a song. Uh, as soon as I pray, you're welcome to, like I said, kind of transition out to lunch. Um, if it's a little bit cold, blame it on me. So we'll just do that. And then you can just uh, do offering at the doors. Love you, and uh, we'll see you next week. Let me pray. Father, thank you for giving us reason to celebrate, not just 2,000 years ago, but, Lord, this last week and today and moments ago and this next week and this next year and decade. God, I pray that you would create in, in the hearts and minds and, uh, and soul of us, God, that there is this urgency that's going on. Lord, help us not to be lulled into a false sense of thinking we'll always be around. Help us, God, to see things clearly. I pray that you would wake up some of us in this room to the reality of what's going on all around us, Lord. There are those who long to see it here this morning. And they say, I do believe, but help my unbelief. God, would you answer that prayer in a powerful way? And God, we promise we won't wait till December of 2010 to give you praise. We'll run our mouth about it to anyone who will listen. And Lord, we thank you for food. We thank you for sustenance and for our bodies that most of us are going to get up and walk out to a meal. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for each person who's in our midst right now. We think of those who aren't here, who've fallen away this year, God. Use us. Not wait around for someone else. Not just cry out to you, but be the answer to our prayer by using us to go and rope in the wandering sheep back into the fold. God, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your great love for us and for your grace. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.